You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. This is our seventh night to talk about prayer. We've been talking about prayer and worship for the last uh, eight weeks. We had an intro, it was our first week, and then we've gone through, this is our seventh uh, session on prayer. Just a quick review, what we've been talking about is this reality of our identity that we are called and we are created to be intercessors. What that is, we are called to stand in the gap for those that cannot stand in the gap themselves. For those that don't know how to stand in the gap, for those that don't know Jesus, that don't walk with the Holy Spirit, we are the ones that stand in the gap for them. And that's literally the business of the ministry of reconciliation that in 2 Corinthians 5, Jesus or Paul says that Jesus has entrusted to us reconciling the world back to God, back to God the Father. That is our job, is to stand in the gap and build a bridge, and that's all intercession is. And we've been entrusted to that. And we know that in this season, the Lord has said that we as a church are in a season of prayer and worship. This season is not about praying more or worshiping more. It's about learning what these things are and the fullness of what they are, these tools that the Lord has equipped us with of prayer and worship and how to operate them personally in fullness. How do I operate in fullness in prayer and worship? How do I worship? How do I, how do I intercede? What does the intercession look like for me? What is my language, my prayer language to the Lord? What are these things? Um, how do I worship? Uh, well, and, and we'll get into that. We're only in the first bit of this study, which is just on prayer. We'll talk about worship as, as, uh, as time goes on. Hopefully we'll be into worship in October. Um, but we are to understand the design and function of prayer and worship as a body of believers and as individuals. And we know that these two tools, to really understand them in fullness, we must have relationship with the Father. To understand prayer, to understand Worship, it, it, it can only be found in relationship with the Heavenly Father, and we see it reflected in Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. No one disagrees with that statement until you start talking about the things Jesus did, and then people have a hard time with some of that stuff. But Jesus is perfect theology. He is our perfect example. And he was here to demonstrate to us what was about to become possible for us. We didn't know it. But that's what he was doing. And we can look at it with hindsight, looking back and reading through Scripture. Oh, he, he was building to something and trying to speak to them about something. And we see this specifically in Matthew 6, 5 through 15, when we, this is the legendary passage of the Lord's Prayer. And we see this. And we see themes begin to present themselves as he gives them this instruction. The first thing that we see is he's talking about... Uh, don't be like the Pharisees that stand on the street corners and, and, and pray out loud so that all would see. But go to, your heavenly, go to a room in secret and pray to your heavenly Father who is in secret. And we read past that all the time. But do we understand the culture of the time and how significant that statement was? Because there was not a person in that group that could go and engage the presence of the Father. They had to go to the temple. They had to make a sacrifice, they had to talk to the priest, and then the priest had to go behind the veil to the presence of God on their behalf. And Jesus had just said, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your heavenly Father. It's like, 
We read, I've read past that all, so many times. But then I read it two weeks ago like, oh my gosh. He was hinting at the veil that was about to be torn and the reconciliation that was about to be presented to them, the ability to have personal individual relationship. And it's the first thing he talks about when he starts instructing them about prayer. Why would he point out relationship as the first piece of instruction on how to pray? Because without relationship with God the Father, there is no ability to operate in the fullness of prayer. Because it is a tool that is only found in relationship. Outside of that, it's just empty words. And that's the next thing he says. Don't be like the Gentiles who, who offer up empty words and, and big phrases. They try to be fancy and elegant with their prayer, hoping that that will be what allows it to be heard. Because they used big words. No. In, in those two sections of scripture right there, Jesus is simply saying, be genuine in your conversation with God. He does not care if you use words with ten syllables in them. He doesn't care. He just genuinely wants to hear you express the desires of your heart towards Him in relationship and communication to Him. He doesn't want you to come and worry, well, I've got a lot of heaviness on my heart, but Lord, I don't want to burden you. I would just wonder if you could maybe offer... No, He wants to engage with His child. He is a good and perfect Father. How many of us as parents would be annoyed with our children coming to be honest with us and engage, Mom, Dad, I'm struggling. How many, oh my gosh, seriously, could you just come back another time when it's more, no, we would drop, there's not a one of us in here that would not drop everything to engage with them in that moment. And we are imperfect. And we have a perfect heavenly father, but somehow we think this perfect heavenly father is going to be the one that judges and is inconvenienced by our difficulties and the things that oftentimes he's leading us into. That would be like me being, Lord, I, uh, I'm just having a hard time being a pastor, but I know you're busy. No, he, he called me to be pastor. So he knows the difficulties that were going to come with it. And he did not want me to carry those on my own. He wanted me to bring them before him and engage in conversation with him. That's prayer. It's relationship. And we see that expressed in the first passage, the first section of Scripture, before we even get to the famous part of the Lord's Prayer. Right? We're not even into that. We're just into instruction of prayer. And then we get into the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And then we've added, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For night is the kingdom, power, glory forever. Amen. Right? But we can clearly see through that. Now you know, you know the story of Jesus. What did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to make a way for those that could not make a way for themselves. Jesus literally came to stand in the gap for those that could not stand in the gap on their own. He came to bring healing for brokenness because the broken people could not find their way to healing without Him. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to be a bridge builder from the world to the Father again, that they could be connected and could be one again. How was He going to do it? He was going to sacrifice Himself for the forgiveness of our sins. Why do I mention this? Because you see it after the Lord's Prayer, the part I just quoted, you see him begin to talk even more about forgiveness. 
If you do not forgive your neighbor, the Father will not forgive you. Why is he harping so heavily on forgiveness? Because uh, he knows that's what he's there to do. It's the desire of the Father's heart for Jesus in his life is to be the forgiveness of sin for the world. It's an expression of the desires of the Father's heart and the desires of Jesus' heart. For Jesus, Jesus desired for the kingdom of heaven to be established here on earth again, that there would not be a divide, there would not be a separation. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven again, as it was always meant to be, as it is in heaven currently, but it was separated by sin and death that I've come to erase. All that to say, what we see is we see the desires of the Father's heart for Jesus expressed in Jesus' heart as he gives instruction. We see it overflow. You cannot look at this and not see a depth of relationship that Jesus has with this heavenly Father. And you can see specifically the desires of the Father's heart for Jesus expressed in his instruction. That's why I know many of you would understand this, but if you ever sat in the office and counseling with Randy before a Sunday. How many times would you hear similar things repeated in a Sunday sermon that you heard in that office? All the time, right? I mean, I could sit with Randy on a Tuesday and I could tell you after that, I kind of have an idea where we're going on Sunday. Because it was the desire of the Father's heart for that coming Sunday and the word for his people. And it was in Randy and it was expressed and overflowing out of him in everything that he was doing and any instruction, any guidance, any direction, it was overflowing. And it's the same with me. I cannot escape what the Lord wants to talk about on Sunday. So you will always hear it expressed in me in any conversation passing by, it doesn't matter. And we see that in Jesus' instruction. The desires of the Father's heart for that day, for that season, for Jesus and his life expressed in his instruction. Be genuine with this Father that you're about to be able to have a relationship with. Forgive, because I am here to forgive you. Establish the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven, because that's what I'm coming to open for you. He is about to, we don't know this, and they don't know this in the instruction, but he is about to leave. He's about to die upon the cross, raised from the dead, and then he's going to go back to his father so that he can send the helper, the literal spirit of heaven, to fill us and allow us to establish the kingdom here on earth. He knows what's about to happen, and you can see it all over his instruction on how to pray. What does that tell us? That prayer and the key to understanding it and walking in fullness of it is tied to your relationship with the Father. If you do not have relationship, you will not understand prayer. You will be a Pharisee shouting on the street corner or a Gentile offering up empty and, and lofty words, hoping that the Lord will hear you because you used big words and pretty phrases instead of being genuine and coming to the Father, that he could plant in you the desires of his heart for you and you could speak those back to him. That is the design of prayer. So today, I've had this statement, this word, transactional, in my head. It may or may not appear on Sunday. Um, as I said, I can't, I can't always separate. I, I teach three times a week, and oftentimes I cannot separate the three. 
you will always see sprinkled in words that will appear in an oh i'm good with it i don't i don't care at all i'm happy about it but just know this is one of those spoilers this is one of those to come but prayer and you'll have to hang with me for a little bit but i'm going to give you this statement first to preface where we're going prayer is not transactional transactional we do not exist in a transactional relationship with the father what what that means a transactional relationship relies entirely on the expectation of reciprocity. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Right? We're familiar with this. We understand this. You give me good things and I'll give you good things. We do this with a lot of relationships today. People will stay in relationships as long as they can get something out of it. And when they can't get anything out of it any longer, they'll leave those relationships. Sorry, I mowed two yards today, so fighting sneezes. Uh, in some ways, this is very normal, right? In some ways, this is very normal. If I go to work and my boss is like, hey, I'm not paying you anymore, I'm be like, then I'm not coming to work anymore. <laughs> or if I stop coming to work, my boss, I'm not paying you anymore because you're not coming anymore, right? That's an appropriate transactional relationship. Unfortunately, we do this in a lot of places that are not meant to be transactional relationships. They are always self-serving. And when someone doesn't give what they are expected to give, the relationship is terminated. It's appropriate at some level, but not for the deep places of our heart and relationships meant for more, like a relationship with my spouse, my wife. A transactional relationship will not work there. But unfortunately, that is what a lot of marriages are. Right? This, this concept that it's 50-50. What does that mean? That means it's transactional. You do your 50, I'll do my 50. Uh Uh-uh. Because that would mean when I come home, I've done my 50. I put in my eight hours of work. Now it's your job. Golly. One of the hardest jobs in the world is to be a mom because you never get to leave. You don't get to clock out. I clock out every day. She doesn't get to clock out. Being a stay-at-home mom, she she don't ever leave the office. That's real tough. Like, that's real tough. So, that can't be 50 50. Because that would mean when I was lying in bed with COVID a couple weeks ago, couldn't hardly move because I had such a high fever. Well, I mean, you still got to do your 50 today. No. Kendall McDonald married, you, some of you guys know him. He married Sarah and I. He's one of my mentors, one of my best friends. Put it this way, that sometimes I'll be 90 and Sarah will only be able to bring 10. And someday she'll be the 90 because all I'll have to give is 10. And I can tell you and I can articulate days where all I've had is barely one. And she's had to be 99. Because all I can do is keep breathing. And that's about all I can offer. That's just it. And there have been those days for her as well. Because it's not transactional. My love is based on a choice. It's not based on an action. Right? That's why marriages struggle. Because they become action-based. Reciprocity. 50-50. And when that person can't offer their 50, that's a strike. And I'll put up with as many strikes as I can take, and then I'm done. Because you're not doing your part. That, that is not a relationship meant for that. 
dear friends. How many dear friends will you have if you only treat them with respect because of what they can give and do for you? Right? We do this. And sometimes it's on accident. Sometimes we see an, uh, I have a need. They have a way to meet that need. I'm going to go meet that person. And then it turns into like, well, man, I only engaged with this person so that they would, so I could get this need met for myself. But right, a dear friend, that can't exist. That can't exist. You can, it can't be 50-50. You have to be willing that if they can't offer you anything ever again, you'll do 100% of it from there on. Right? And, of course, the Lord. This is not a relationship meant for a transactional uh, system. Our relationship with the Father cannot be based on this transactional relationship models, but so many Christians think that if you do good, you'll get good, right? If you do bad, you get bad. I don't know how many times I've heard this, I've heard stories of this, I've heard horror stories of this. I've, I've counseled with people that have been told things like this. Well, your, your kid has cancer because you've done something. And you need to ask for forgiveness. Yeah, it sounds awful to us who know the truth, but there are a lot of people standing in a pulpit that don't know truth. And they offer that. You, there, there was a movie made about this. Um, with uh, Jennifer Garner. Did you guys ever see that movie? And uh, Queen Latifah's in it. Her, her daughter gets uh, cancer and they go through all these treatments and, and then she falls. She starts feeling a little bit better and she's climbing a tree and she falls down a hollow tree and they can't find her and they just end up praying around this tree and this, this girl's healed. And they take her back to uh, Boston Medical Center and uh, the doctor, he, he wears the same tie the entire time this kid is going through treatment. And he won't change his tie until that kid is better. And he comes in with a different tie there at the end because she's better. And he's like, I can't legally say that God did this. But I can tell you it's a miracle. Because we didn't do it. And this little girl just healed just like that. But she was told in, this, in the movie and in real life, told by her pastor, this is punishment for past sin. People have a bitter taste in their mouth because of this. I have family that have been told these kinds of things. Family that don't want to come to church because they're like, I mean, they'll come to my church. They don't live here, so they can't come to my church all the time. But they're like, no, I'm not doing that. It, it is not transactional. You, you, you do good, great. You do bad, Okay. Right? If our relationship was based on reciprocity, like this thought that is taught in our church in America today, what is then the point of Jesus if it's reciprocity? There is no point of Jesus because we could never repay our debt. I'll die for you. How do we pay back that? Because I'm not perfect. So even if I die for him, is that fullness of payment? No. 
because I continue to sin. Even though there was one that was perfect and died for my sin, who committed no sin, he who became sin for the righteousness of me. How do you repay that? You cannot. It is impossible. So then there would be no point for Jesus because we could never pay back the debt. And I don't think God is a God that goes into debt. He sounds a little bit more financially responsible than that. (laughs) Turn with me now to Ephesians 2. If anybody can beat me there, nope, you can't. Gotcha. Ephesians 2, verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, Even though we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. How does he show his grace? He shows it in kindness. I think that's important for this church particularly to understand. How does God show grace? He shows it through kindness. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is only by the grace of God that we can even pray. He sent us, just track this for a second. We know this information, but let's just connect the dots. We fall because we don't listen to his instruction and sin enters the world. But he has a solution. It's his son, Jesus. And he prepares a way and he makes a way. And he keeps his promises throughout these thousands of years and generations of establishing all these things to allow the line of Jesus to come through the line of David, the Israelites, as he promised and and prophesied that he would do. And then Jesus comes and Jesus dies. And Jesus dies for our sin. Something we could not do. Jesus died for us and made a way for us that we can not only get to heaven, but that heaven could get into us. But now there's another problem. I've got to believe in Jesus. I've got to have faith. And so now, having forgiven us our sins and provided a way for us to now access the kingdom of heaven that we were all made for, what does he do? He gives us another gift of faith that I could then have faith in him because he knew that I couldn't even have an, I couldn't create faith within myself to even believe in him. So he offers me a gift of faith through an encounter that I could now put that gift of faith back in him and believe that he has died for my sins. I am a son, I am adopted. I have access to the Holy Spirit. I have authority in the kingdom of heaven on earth, and I am in the world, not of it. I am an heir. I am a royal priest. I am a holy nation and a co-heir with Christ because of the gifts that he continues to give. Not a single one of those steps did I do anything. He has given us more than we can ever fathom or comprehend to be adopted into royalty. Think about this just historically. What kingdom adopted peasants not worthy 
and then not only brought them into the family and made them royalty, but also set them on the throne that they would be co-heirs with the rightful king. That didn't exist. It only exists in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't make a lick of sense anywhere else. He's done all of this for us. He has done what only he can simply to have a relationship with me despite my mistakes. But it is not based on anything that I bring to the table. I'm simply made for him. Period. He created me for a purpose, and that purpose is to be filled with the presence of God. I'm the only thing in all of creation. We are the only creation ever to exist that ever will exist that has the ability to house the presence of God. The only thing like us ever created was the temple, and that was torn. And now, do you, it's 1 Corinthians, do you not know that your, your body is the temple? For the presence of God. We're made to house the presence of God. And I can't seem to remember if I did anything to make that happen. Not even the moment of decision did I come to it on my own. He led me to this place and then he gave me the ability. I had a choice. Don't get me wrong. But he gave me a gift that when I would choose him, I had the ability to fully choose him. And choose him in faith. It was only by his doing. But how often does our prayer life become transactional? 50-50. Do this and we'll do this. I don't know how many conversations I've had with former addicts that they're at the lowest of lows. Lord, if you just do this for me, I'll never touch this again. And they stay true to that. But they miss it. Because all they had to do was say, Lord, heal me. Period. They didn't have to go and make a covenant because it's not transactional. The, the only covenant that he ever made with man, with Abraham, Abraham fell asleep and he made it with himself. He didn't even make the covenant with Abraham. He walked through the ceremony of making a covenant on his own as Abraham slept. He doesn't need us to make a covenant. He doesn't need us to make a promise. He just needs us to choose Him. He just needs us to cry out. He just needs us to ask. John 15, 7. Ask whatever you wish. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. But the key in that, it's not about asking for the things that originate in me. It's about asking for those things that are placed in me by his heart and his desire for me because I have a relationship with him. And I have an opportunity to have a relationship with him, not because I've done anything, because it's not transactional. He's just opened the the door. He's just opened the floodgates. I have access to the river of life because he deemed it so. Period. So there's nothing about it that's transactional. And he will give us the things that are, that are desires in our heart that originated in him if we abide. We talked about it Sunday, to remain in. But the thing to also recognize is that he does not answer to us. He does not answer to me. He owes me nothing. He owes me no explanation. He owes me no answers. 
But we know this to be true. He lavishes us with blessing. He, lo- he loves to lead us into understanding. Jesus, I'm, it's necessary for me to go to the Father that I could send the helper to you who will lead you into all truth and righteousness. In the same helper, he also states, you will not need any other teacher but him. What does that say? That he has every desire to teach us and bring understanding to us if we simply ask for it. But we are not owed that. It's a gift from a perfect and good father. I give my kids gifts not because they earn them, but because I love them. Period. And I would not stop at a gift. They would have the very breath in my lungs because they're my children. Period. And I am imperfect. Incredibly imperfect. And what more will this perfect father do if we ask, if we engage rightly in relationship with him the way we are created to engage with him? Not thinking that it's on this transactional basis because when we think it's on a transactional basis, we approach him in fear. We approach him with caution and timidity and worry. But what, my, my sons never approach me cautiously. Most of the time it's with fists flying. Yeah. They never come into my room quietly. They come and they jump on top of me. But I would rather them come running to me than come timid towards me. So why do we come timid towards this perfect father that just wants us to run and jump on the bed? Just jump on top of him. This perfect father. It's because we approach prayer. We approach him on a transactional basis. I've got to bring something if I'm to get anything. No, you've never had to bring anything to the table. You've simply had to say yes. That is all we have to do. That is the only requirement to say yes and amen. Yes and let it be. And just pursue a relationship with him. And it's not a pursuit that we have to go and find him and seek him out. Seek me and you will find me. It's a guarantee if you seek him, you'll find him. Because it's like if I, if I want to find this Bible and my eyes are closed, my hands are on it, and it's right in front of me, all I have to do is open my eyes and there it is. That was all the seeking. It's not like your key, car keys that you lost. You don't go out tearing up couch cushions and, and op, open up laundry baskets and different stuff like that to find them. He's closer than our breath now. If you'll seek me, you'll find me. If I desire him, I find him immediately. With, there is no hesitation. It's the fastest thing on earth. When we desire him, we find him. It's the fastest thing to ever exist. James 1, 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be, kind, uh, should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. How is prayer not transactional? Prayer is not transactional because it is, a, it is an overflowing and a reflection of a relationship with the Father. He says, if you remain in me and then pray, right? And Jesus said this all the way back in Matthew. If you simply engage the Father and then pray, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. It's about relationship. It's about engaging with Him. Jesus says, pursue Him in your own life. And prayer follows. 
Pursue him in your own walk and prayer follows. And you will always pray rightly. You will always pray correctly. Engage in relationship with the Father and you'll know when he's asking you to speak. You'll know when he's asking you to stand and pray over a group of people or pray over an individual. And you will have no fear because you know it's not transactional. You know this relationship doesn't require anything of you but to say yes and amen. And if you have a relationship with God, the way Jesus had a relationship with God, and we get to have that depth of relationship, let me tell you, you will be so convinced that you want the will of God over your own will. You will be so dedicated to it if we engage in relationship with God that you would hang upon a cross if it were the will of God because you know that that will is for the good of all men and it is for your good. He works all things for the good of those that love him. And Jesus stood or Jesus hung on that cross knowing exactly that truth. Not because he was told but because he engaged in a relationship with a father that expected nothing from him. But to say yes and amen. And he, he, he was so dedicated and consumed by the will of God. He desired, no, he desired nothing more than the father's will to be done here on earth. And it was not because of transactional relationship. Never once did Jesus pray from a transactional place. It's because he has been given more than he ever deserved or he could ever have earned. I love the chosen series because you see the gratitude of Jesus towards the Father every single time he's on the screen. That is the Jesus that we serve and that is the Jesus that has made a way that we could have the exact same relationship. But we cannot approach prayer as so many often do, that it's on a transactional basis. But if you believe that prayer is transactional, if you do this, I'll, I promise I'll do this. If you would just help us out with this, I'll, I'll do better at this. Where does that stem from? That stems from believing that your relationship with God is based on the things that you do and not the fact that you are his son, that you are his daughter. We're not human doings. We're human beings. We're called to be who he's called us to be, who he's created, not who he's called us, who he's created you to be. This is the, in relationship with him is the most organic form of you. There is no more organic, there is no more natural state of your being than in relationship with God. And it is not based on anything that you do, it is based on who you are and you cannot change who you are. So don't approach him like you have to do something right just approach him recognizing that I am exactly who he's made me to be and I have been made for him. So I can't do anything wrong in my approach towards him. I just got to start coming. Run and jump on the bed. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.